electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Our business is the stopwatch. If we win, financial success is going to follow. This is just like a normal business. The only difference is our bottom line is result on the racetrack. The spring break is over. It's time to go racing. Formula One. The Grand Prix of Europe automobile race. A legendary motorsports league. Can he beat the world champion in turn one? Yes, he can. Enjoying a surge in popularity. The business is just growing and growing, and the US has gone crazy and has woken up to what Formula One is. So it's flying. We've got a lot more newer, younger audience now. People are really excited about the sport and where it's going. 10 teams and 20 drivers, driven by courage and fueled with money. Price on the cars? They cost about $50 million to develop, and there are a couple million dollars to actually build one. A global sport being reshaped by American investment and strategy. Today, I don't think you could buy a team for less than $750 million, and the top teams are valued $3 billion. So that's a total change. And now in Las Vegas, making one of its biggest bets ever. When you look out on the strip right now, what do you see? I see what is going to be absolutely lit up in an incredible spectacle. As the crowd roar the drivers off. Over the long term, we want to be associated with a winner. And we must not fool ourselves. That needs to be the trajectory. I'm Sarah Eisen, and this is Inside Track, the business of Formula One, a special CNBC podcast. Act One. Formula One and the Liberty Era. It's considered the most elite of all racing leagues, where cars from celebrated automakers rocket down the track at speeds reaching 220 miles an hour. Formula One has long been a sport for the purists, powered by cutting-edge technology. But the masses have moved in, fawning over drivers like rock stars and following their drama on and off the track. Have a great day, folks. Straight ahead, general mission and grandstand. To understand where the business of F1 is going, you have to know where it came from. Get your programs, Cardinal Curse. And that's a place called Silverstone. Here in the UK, 480,000 fans gather for a July weekend to witness the rush of racing. They go into Brooklyn's, Verstappen stays ahead. The crowd roar their approval for this. And to get a driver's eye view, I'm gearing up and heading out on an experience usually reserved for VIPs. But this is something extra special. Sarah. I'm getting in the car with Toto Wolf. Are you ready? The CEO, co-owner, and team principal of the Mercedes AMG Petronas F1 team. You have to make sure my seatbelt is right. I've never, I don't think, gone more than 90 miles per hour. Today, we'll go more than twice that fast on what's called a hot lap. Let's do a proper burnout. It's one loop around a Formula One track during a race weekend. 
Born in Austria, Wolf raced professionally for a few years before mapping out a career in finance and then making his way back to the racetrack. Formula One is a technical sport. It's an engineering competition. You're unique because you are CEO, principal, and part owner of Mercedes. Which one takes the most time? While the engineers will always say that I'm spending too much on the CEO side, my priority must always be to create a framework where our performance people are able to thrive. Every F1 season, there are two world championship titles up for grabs. One for the car constructors and one for the drivers. Mercedes won the constructors title eight years in a row, from 2014 to 2021. The star of the Mercedes team, and arguably the biggest celebrity in all of F1, is seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton. So this is Lewis's car. This is Lewis's car, number 44. What's it made out of? So underneath the, the bodywork that you see, um, that's all uh, composite, that's carbon. It's the patch you will see that is ultra lightweight. Here. It's just the bodywork. Oh yeah, I feel like I can punch it's it. It's empty, you can punch it. And below that there is a carbon tub where, in which the driver sits in order to be protected. So that's then rock solid. It's an aerodynamic miracle in that car. There are close to two dozen races per season. Each one is a chance to size up the competition and learn from your mistakes. The engineering, like the car, is in constant motion. And you've done a big upgrade recently to the car, right? We've gone much wider with our bodywork that was here before. We've introduced a new floor. Overall, we are adding second and a half, two seconds, by introducing new elements every race, every second race. Half of Wolf's 2,500 employees are dedicated just to building the engine and the engines they sell to three other competitors. It's one of a number of income streams to cover the enormous cost of operating the Mercedes team. Our business today generates about $600 million in, in revenue. We have predictable income streams because sponsorship contracts normally between five to ten years. So that's one pillar of revenue. The F1 pillar is promotional deals, countries or promoters that pay us sponsorship income from F1 itself, and TV and media deals. And the third one are all side activities, be it our engineering arm or hospitality. Formula One itself generated more than $2.5 billion in revenues in 2022. It shares those revenues with the teams based partly on the season's standings and a team's history in the sport. The very first championship race was held at Silverstone in May 1950, in front of a crowd that included the British royal family. Then in the 1970s, a racing team owner, Bernie Ecclestone, took over the league. Bernie, for a long time, did a lot of good for the sport. Alanis King is a Texas-based F1 podcaster and author who covers motorsports. So he signed really good global TV deals for Formula One. But as we entered the modern era, Bernie's ruling style kind of fell by the wayside because Bernie did not want a bunch of social media. He did not want cameras in the paddock. And in modern sports, you have to give people access. By early 2017, there was another major change to the sport. U.S.-based Liberty Media became the new owners of Formula One in an $8 billion deal. And what was the thinking at that point on Wall Street about the price? <laughs> a lot of people, including us, thought it was a full price. It wasn't as if we bought it on the cheap. Greg Maffei is president and CEO of Liberty, which also owns stakes in Sirius XM, Live Nation, and the Atlanta Braves, in addition to Formula One. 
There are a few places where you can own a global sport, own a league with the scale of Formula One and the fan base, but then in many ways it had been under-monetized. There was an opportunity to better market it, to better uh, capitalize on some of the revenue streams, to go out and grow it in America. That was always part of your plan, to grow it in America? America was always in the mi our minds, yeah. At an F1 event in Miami leading up to the Grand Prix weekend, Greg Maffei addresses the audience. There's never been a more exciting time to be in sport, and we'd like to think in F1 in particular. After the F1 acquisition, Liberty began to transform the business, rethinking its approach to media rights, digital strategy, marketing, really everything. There was no social media, literally, when we started. You know, Lewis Hamilton couldn't tweet. Lewis Hamilton couldn't put anything on Instagram. Now he has three times the followers of Tom Brady. Liberty also tapped Stefano Domenicali, a former Ferrari team boss, to be president and CEO. You have been part of Formula One before the Liberty acquisition. So how, what's the biggest change? First of all, understanding that it was imperative for the teams to be sustainable in terms of financial. Financials before were always very tricky. The ownership of the F1 before was normally giving loans to the teams to be able to stay in the business. There were a lot of in and out, in and out. Now with the budget cap, we stabilize the financial of all the teams. The budget or cost cap that Liberty introduced limits how much each team can spend on building and developing cars, set at $135 million in 2023. Before the cap, some teams like Mercedes spent some $200 million or more a year, and other teams struggled to keep up. The blueprint was the American leagues where when the salary caps were introduced, the businesses became sustainable. Did you try to follow the model of NFL, for instance? We understood that some of the things that, for example, the NFL has done about creating more revenue parity, creating a cost cap, those allow for a way more competitive and more compelling sport. Maffei is always on the move and connecting the worlds of F1 and U.S. pro sports. At the Canadian Grand Prix, he invited NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell to speak with the F1 team principals in a closed-door meeting. What was the big takeaway? I think the rule on the NFL, and I'm not an owner, but my sense is play hard on Sunday, beat each other up, but Monday, league first, and grow the value of the league. And look, as the league owner, we have some incentive to try and create that behavior, incentivize that behavior. It doesn't really feel like that's the F1 mantra, It's moved it? a long way. I think it used to be the case that, you know, how do I bugger my neighbor? I, if I'm Ferrari, I don't care how everyone does. I just want to make sure I take it from Mercedes. I think that's still there, but it's changed a lot. And people have understood that our collective success has made their individual success that much better. The overall strategy seems to be paying off. In 2018, 4.1 million fans attended an F1 race. In 2022, that shot up to 5.7 million. For Domenicali, sustaining that momentum is vital. If you look at the angle of the growth of the, of the last couple of years, it's just massive. It's important to stabilize the foundation of this business because there will be a moment where this growth will, could stabilize. But the most important thing is to stabilize, not to go down. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create. Like Olu Shehi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Act 2. Red Bull Races Ahead. 
It's the day after Silverstone 2023, and Max Verstappen in a Red Bull car has won again. At the company's headquarters, the trophies are being polished and the bubbly is being poured. We've now won 27 of the last 31 races, so you can understand why the other teams are getting a bit pissed off with the kind of performance that we're putting in. Red Bull team principal and CEO Christian Horner is giving us a rare peek into his post-race briefing for the company, some 1,600 strong. We didn't have the best of starts, but Max kept his head and was able to recover. He goes over all aspects of the business, including engineering. We have got an upgrade coming. And entertainment. The marketing team again did a great job hosting, I think, close to 400 guests. The British Grand Prix win is Oracle Red Bull Racing's 10th of the 2023 season, out of the 10 races held so far. It's been a commanding performance. They've got the season's winningest driver, the best car, and a masterful pit crew. How does number one impact the business of the Red Bull Racing team? There's an old adage of, of uh, you know, win on Sunday and sell on Monday. Well, what we do for the Red Bull brand, for the energy drink, in advertising the product globally for 23 race weekends a year, with the biggest marketing impact that uh, the beverage company has. So there's a correlation between Absolutely. you winning and sales of the energy drink? Absolutely, they, they, they see it, they can measure it. It's incredible the amount of consumption of Red Bull that is, that is happening. That marketing savvy led to his team being the only one of the top three to sign on to the first season of a docu-series called Drive to Survive. Amazing, amazing. An early move by F1 owner Liberty Media to shake up the sport. Debuting on Netflix in 2019, it turned drivers and team principals into global celebrities. You were one of the first to participate in Drive to Survive. Why is it so important to have now the cameras around? There's so much more to Formula One than just the race itself, the personalities, the characters, the, the politics, the competition. And so I think just lifting the lid slightly on that and seeing not even 10% of what goes on is very, very compelling. By the second season of the series, Horner's rival, Toto Wolff of Mercedes, became a convert. And we were skeptical at the beginning. Ferrari and us didn't participate in, in the first season of Drive to Survive because we felt we are, you know, we are here for racing and not for Cirque du Soleil. And eventually we realized that the way, the entertainment way of looking at the sport is, is good for all of us, as long as entertainment follows sport and not the other way around. I caught up with the man who signed that Netflix deal for F1, Ian Holmes. How did that deal come together? Um, it's a bit like who signed Pele for the New York Cosmos. We were of the opinion, and, and certainly Liberty, was that if we were going to do something like this, we thought it would be better to do something that, that uh, involved everyone, the whole grid. And also, up until relatively recently, no one really sort of saw much of them. Sat in a car, you can see the top half of their head, and they got a helmet on. So it's really been able to introduce the audience to, to their to the personalities, yes. And for Stefano Domenicali, president and CEO of F1, the results speak for themselves. Drive to Survive was a game changer, would you say? In a nutshell, absolutely, yes. Help us to, to attract a, a much younger audience, a much diversified audience. We have 40% uh, of the new audience is now uh, coming from the female world, that is fantastic. But will all that growth be stalled by a lack of competitive drama? All the way to the in 2021, fans watched an intense nail-biter of a finish to the season. And while the final race was not without controversy, the battle for the championship between Lewis Hamilton 
and Max Verstappen drove huge interest. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Fast forward two years, however, Red Bull and Verstappen have dominated virtually every race. It's not good for the business, is it? If this will be the answer, I'm going to have a problem to sell the tickets. They're sold out every race. So I don't see that as an issue. Winning can come with its own complications, something Toto Wolff knows well. When we won eight times in a row, there was the kind of same opinion that are we damaging the sport because it's not variable and unpredictable enough. The Red Bull car at the moment is, um, is the benchmark and it's up to us to do a better job to, to catch up and uh, not complain too much about it being too boring. But the concerns about lackluster competition may be having an effect on traditional TV ratings. In 2018, 550,000 U.S. viewers on average tuned into the races on ESPN. And ratings shot up from there, averaging 1.21 million viewers a race in 2022. But in 2023, U.S. viewership has been plateauing. But hasn't this always been a problem for Formula One where it's two, three teams that dominate? You, Christian, want the business to succeed. I know you want to win every yep. race. But, but is that really what, the best but thing? Tell me which major league or sport does not have three or four teams that are, you know, if I look at the Premiership in the UK, if I look at NFL, for example, there are, you know, there's, there's certain teams that are always there. But the last team gets the first draft pick. Same with the NBA. I mean, there, there are more rules to make it more equitable. Yeah, and I think the cost cap is going to do that, but it's going to take a period of time. I think that it's uh, for the other teams to raise their game rather than us to lower our game. Horner, meanwhile, is looking to raise his game even further. In Formula One, there are teams that build engines, like Mercedes and Ferrari, and there are teams that buy them, like Red Bull does from Honda. But in 2023, Red Bull announced it'll be building its own engine in a new partnership with Ford. We got a rare look inside the team's powertrain building, though our cameras weren't allowed to tape any of its top secret technology. We made the decision to invest in our own facility to take control of our own future. Does that get lumped in with the, with the cost cap for the team? Well, the engine now comes under a cost cap, so spend is restricted. There is a supply price to the teams that, that have to pay, so Red Bull Racing will pay Red Bull powertrains for an engine. Developing an engine is a huge investment and a performance risk for the number one team. But if all goes well, it may pay even bigger dividends in the years to come. Unlike Mercedes and McLaren, yeah. there's no such thing as a Red Bull car to buy. So how is this made to... Not yet. What is the engine? Not yet. Not yet. Is that, a, is that something uh, that can we're happen? We're doing the first ever Red Bull car as a track-only car at the moment. So we're going to have 50 of those that, that, that will be sold, and then we'll see where that goes. One day, um, you know, there will be a Red Bull car. While top teams are thriving, the league's youngest team and its sponsors are racing to catch up. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Act 3. Banking on Sponsors It's the weekend of the Miami Grand Prix. 
And drivers Nico Hulkenberg and Kevin Magnuson from Team MoneyGram Haas are hard at work. Scroll cameras, please. But not on the track or in the pit. Today, they're at Chipotle. Action! Along with team principal Gunter Steiner. We are just filming some commercials. That is what we do as work as well, you know, it's not only going racing, we have to do this one for our partners and sponsors. All in all, we are better than last year, which is important. For Steiner, running a successful team isn't just about the engineering and driving. It may involve eating burritos, and lots of them. Did you remember the guac? What do you think? We forgot that you Thank you. This is the real fuel behind Formula One, the sponsorships. Chipotle is one of 15 sponsors backing Team Haas this season. Some teams have as many as 50. And with the most lucrative deals worth tens of millions, that money can make or break a season. You always run out of money in racing because uh, if you've got money, you're gonna spend it to go faster. Uh, and you need to run a business. You need to have that money coming in. So you need to sell sponsorship and uh, or report back to the board, uh, to the investor in the team, and tell them what you're doing with money. So you think of yourself as a CEO? Yeah, I mean, that is what we are these days. Welcome to the Miami Grand Prix. The hustle is real when you're in the bottom half of the field. Interviews, meet and greets, sponsor events, and of course, there's also the actual race. What level is your car operating at right now? Uh, we have got room to do better, if you want to say that to me. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> you felt it. <laughs> Steiner's the unlikely breakout star from Netflix's Drive to Survive. The car was not a piece of Fans can't get enough of the fast-talking, wise-cracking, profanity-loving underdog. You've become quite a celebrity because of Drive to Survive, which you still have never seen. Correct, I've never seen it. I will not watch it in the near future. Maybe one day I will watch it. Uh, Why don't you watch it? If I watch myself, obviously, then you think about how you could do things better or different. For years, he had an idea to start a US-based F1 team. But first, he had to find the money. He turned to a big-name investor in NASCAR, American manufacturing mogul Gene Haas. So at some point, you pitched Gene Haas on starting an F1 team. What was your goal at that point? To have an F1 team. <laughs> I met Mr. Haas. I had to explain to him how I would do it because it's a big investment and he didn't want to fail. Team Haas made its debut in 2016, the only U.S. Formula One team on the grid. They're scrappy and bootstrappy because they have to be. We are the smallest team in Formula One, people-wise only a little bit over 200 people. So what you need to catch up to them, you need to do it better and more of it. Doing it better is very difficult because people doing it, they're very smart. Doing more of it, it takes a lot of money. And normally investors, either they run out of money or the enthusiasm because they cannot catch up. Well-funded teams like Ferrari and Mercedes build all their own cars. To save money, Haas buys many of its parts, including the engine and transmission, from Ferrari. If we do our own, it will take us years to do the same. What we can buy, we buy and develop the stuff which makes the difference. And unlike more established teams, Haas is still a relative bargain for brands wanting to get into F1 through sponsorships. It looks like there's some more places you could put yeah. logos. Yeah, we can put more logos. We want also the right partners. What's the wrong partner? No, not just a sticker on a car which use us to, to promote their company. 
you know, just do a quick, uh, quick deal for one, one year or two years, it's, it's not really right because then you're it's just a revolving door. Before Steiner became a media sensation, securing sponsors like Chipotle, the revolving door was a problem. In 2019, his title sponsor, Rich Energy, walked away mid-season under a cloud of controversy. And in 2021, there was the deal with Russian fertilizer company Urikali. Obviously, when Ukraine was invaded by Russia, there was no way that we could keep on going on with them. I mean, you know, when you do a deal like this, you never think in 2022 that a war would break out. The invasion happened the same day in the evening. We, we, we took our uh, stickers off the, off the car and everything we had. So that was a little bit unfortunate, but in the end, uh, we learned out of it. The thing with Earl Colley or Rich Energy is that people could tell right away, hey, this is probably not the best deal to make. Alanis King is a motorsports journalist and author of the book Racing with Rich Energy. Motorsports are very, very, very expensive. You need a lot of money to do it, and the money doesn't always come from the best places. Just as Team Haas was looking for a fresh start, so was a Dallas-based money transfer company called MoneyGram. CEO Alex Holmes and his chief marketing officer Greg Hall wanted to re-energize their 80-year-old brand. Alex, why Haas? Why is that the right fit, this team? So we actually had the opportunity to look at about three or four different, um, different teams. And so first and foremost, the, the title sponsorship made, made the most difference to us because mm -hmm. you see a lot of brands on the cars and they're wonderful. But the activation that comes with that is not the same as the activation you get through Formula One, through all the TV, through all the, the mentions and, and the postings with the, with the title sponsorship. So that was super important. And Greg Hall analyzed their options. You look at the NBA, you look at the NFL in the US, but you also look at soccer, of course. What really pops out about F1 initially is that they race in, uh, at the time in 20 different countries. And we looked at those countries in that particular year, it overlapped with 70% of our send revenue. So while we're a U.S. company, we do more business outside the U.S. than we do inside. They saw where Formula One is going. They said, let's try to get in with a smaller team or a midfield team, because in the big teams, you know, it's all about the big team. And with us, I think they get more about them. Think of sponsorship as a symbiotic relationship. The sponsors get brand exposure during races and star power at events like this one with the Haas drivers. Come on, give it up for Kevin and Nico. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. The team gets the brand expertise and a hefty paycheck. For five years of title sponsorship, MoneyGram is paying a reported $60 million, though the company wouldn't confirm the amount. Driver Kevin Magnuson says they spend more time working with sponsors than they do actually driving the cars. It's what keeps us racing. You know, it's a small privately owned team and uh, all these partners that we have on board, you know, they're the ones that you know, make this possible. Into turn three, in goes Magnuson. As Formula One's popularity has grown, so has interest from some of the most well-known companies in the world. Rolex, Amazon, Heineken, sponsoring teams or the league itself. But finding the right fit is key, even for the big teams like Mercedes. Team principal, Toto Wolff. So at the end of the day, every deal, every partnership is tailor-made to the objectives of the potential sponsor. So for instance, you work with Marriott. What's the objective there? Marriott is very clear. We are racing in exciting destinations, going to the best hotels, and they wanted to activate for their key clients, for their best customers around the world, an experience that money can't buy. You get to meet the drivers, we have a chat. 
Making sure sponsors get a good return on their investment is just part of the job for a team principal. MoneyGram says they're already seeing a bump in both brand awareness and app downloads. Here again, CEO Alex Holmes. I'll just say this. I'm sitting here staring at that sign on the garage, and I'm just, it's like blows my mind that MoneyGram is on that, that sign. It's big. It's yeah. bigger than us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting in as a sponsor is one thing, but getting in as a driver is even tougher. Continue listening to part two of Inside Track, the business of Formula One. Driving into the future, Lewis Hamilton addresses the challenges of breaking into the league. I'm probably the last of a dying breed of kids coming from working class families. And in Las Vegas, we get a behind the scenes look at just what it takes to build a track from scratch. I'm Sarah Eisen, thanks for joining me. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career, so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.